Welcome to another episode of Talking with Apples. On today's episode, we will be chatting about app distribution and best practices. And today we have Keegan Rush, um, originally from South Africa, but now in Poland, working remotely. He is the author of a book from Ray Winderlich, iOS App Distribution and Best Practices. And yeah, he's an iOS and macOS developer um, as his day job. Welcome, Keegan. Thank you, PJ. Much appreciated. Awesome. So yeah, we. So this is quite an interesting topic because um, I think a lot of people end up building an app one day and they get to the point where they find that this app is now ready to go out to the world. And they obviously think about like, how do I get this onto either the, the Play Store if it's Android, but like obviously we're focusing on iOS today, which is the App Store. How, so we, we kind of like go get into the point of like, we how would we actually get this app to the App Store? And I think that's kind of what um, the book that you've written with others is all about. How do we get, um, this app to the to the app store. So, kind of my my first um discussion point that I wanted to discuss is maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of an intro into what is app store distribution. Yeah, of course. So, um, so the book actually focuses on a developer that maybe he's just learned uh, iOS programming. And this developer may have built an awesome app that they're really excited to share with their friends and their family and then into the wider public on the app store. But you reach this point after writing the code for an app where you're not actually sure how to take the next step. So app distribution is that next step where you finish the app, you have it running on your, on your Mac. Maybe you've got it deployed to your iPhone as well. But if you want to go anywhere beyond that, that's app distribution. And the book focuses on the, the what we like to call the golden path or the, the simplest approach, which is, well, Xcode actually makes it quite easy for you to distribute an app these days. Uh, Xcode will manage most of the complexities regarding Apple app distribution. But uh, the book shows you how to do that. And in case something goes wrong, it also dives into everything you need to know to become a code signing wizard and to know how Apple is actually getting these apps distributed on the App Store in test flight on App Store Connect. Uh, we go beyond that as well. And we also talk about how can you make the best workflow for yourself and your team? What are the best practices to follow when you are wondering how to get your code into the hands of your team and your testers and the rest of the world. Okay, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and you you mentioned a few things there, um, which I definitely want to dive into. And one of the first things where you spoke about signing. So I think signing is one of those things where uh, I know these days pretty much like Xcode does everything for you. But uh, we, I think we both have done um, iOS development for, for quite a bit of time yeah. where back in the days you would pretty much 
have to go onto App Store Connect um, and pretty much go and create these magical things that they call provisioning profiles and certs. Um, and you have to kind of like mm-hmm. sign your app with these things. Um, maybe you can kind of like just yeah. get into kind of um, what, what, what do these things actually do for us? Um, because I think, I think um, obviously Xcode is great at like giving us this information or, or kind of doing all of this for us. But mm-hmm. I think understanding it, like you mentioned, um, understanding the nitty gritty is also quite important. Yeah, so so code signing and provisioning profiles and all of this, it's the whole reason why iOS app distribution is such a complicated topic. And because Xcode is handling so much these days, like you've said, a lot of that complexity gets hidden from you up until the day when you need a more complicated workflow or if you're at the point where you want to implement continuous integration or continuous delivery into your project, you're going to need to know a little bit more beyond what Xcode is doing for you behind your back. And um, that all goes down into the interplay of code signing and provisioning profiles. And yeah, that, that's one thing that I think most iOS developers regarded as the, the bane of their existence <laughs> is when uh, you had to go and manually do these uh, code signing certificates and provisioning profiles. And, and basically, all of this is set up so Apple knows exactly who you are when you're trying to release an app so that when your app is distributed on Apple's App Store, Apple can confidently tell the users, iOS users, that this app that they're downloading is from a certified developer, PJ, and he can be trusted. That's the whole point of the certificate. It uh, it tells Apple you are who you say you are and makes sure that no one else can claim to be you distributing your app instead of you. It protects you, it protects Apple, and it protects users. So where do provisioning profiles fit into all of this? Well, basically, the provisioning profile links the certificate, which is basically your identity, to the destination. So not only do you need to prove who you are with your certificate, but you need a provisioning profile that says the person that owns the certificate wants to, what you're saying is the person that owns this certificate wants to distribute this app to a certain channel. So typically we've been talking about that channel. Where do you want to distribute that app? That channel is the app store. It can be other places as well. So before you even on the App Store, you might want to be testing your app in an alpha test or a beta test phase. So you put it onto test flight. Or maybe you want to use a third-party service like BitDrives. Uh, in that case, there's another type of provisioning profile that you'll use to distribute your app outside of Apple's platform. Some apps are never even destined for the App Store, really. They, they are made for internal use. Maybe you're a large company and you have an app that's meant to be used only by your employees. There is an enterprise provisioning profile that you would then use to distribute your apps only to people within your enterprise. So once again, that profile is linked to where it's going and it's linked to the certificate, which is who you are. 
Okay, yeah, I think I think that's um, that's pretty important because I think, um, like you mentioned, there's there's almost, there's actually a whole bunch of different channels where you can distribute your app to. Um, well, just thinking about it, distributing it to your own device. Um, or maybe even like testers devices that you are maybe working in a large team and you want to kind of distribute it to a bunch of your testers and stuff like that. You need your own kind of provisioning profile there. Um, then you mentioned um, something which is also quite important if you have kind of internal apps for your um, your applicant, um, well, for your company and you want to do more um, there, which what they call it, I think they call it ad hoc, ad hoc provisioning profiles. Um, so that's kind of like more internal, not destined for the app store. And then you, like you said, you mentioned, um, app stores, um, the app store itself. Um, so I definitely do think though, that is quite important, um, for people to know. Um, and there was even something that you mentioned there, which is something called test flight. And I think test flight is also something that's really important. Um, and it's a really good tool for developers to know about, but I don't know if a lot of people actually use test flight um and all its capabilities uh, maybe we can dive a little bit into test flight um and what well, what it kind of does for for developers because i think it's quite important um before actually getting your app out there um into um into the world into like your your millions hopefully millions of users at some point yeah yeah so great question um so, so the iOS app distribution book actually talks about and helps you to set up a process of deploying your app to, to many different channels, whether it be the App Store or ad hoc, which is basically any sort of platform you want to release it onto, or enterprise, or test flight. And um, well, you could do an ad hoc build to test your app on a third-party platform. But um, there's a lot of there's a lot of extra management in terms of the security of it with that. So that's where Apple comes in with test flights. Uh, basically, it's a way to get your build into a testable deployment quite early on. So with test flights, I can make an internal build, which I can then share with other users of my company. Before I'm even ready for the App Store, I can distribute an alpha build. To, to anyone that's within my organization and they can download the test flight app onto their iOS device and from there download my alpha build of the app and test it. But that still leaves a gap from testing your app within your team and releasing it onto the app store. And this is where test flight really shines, where I can take a build that I've been testing internally and on test flight, you can actually distribute it into a public beta. So it's it's your next step to getting users all around the world testing your app before you actually release it to the app store. You get a, a nice little link that a user can copy, or copy paste, and um, basically get an invite into the test flight app on their device, and they can start playing around before you're on the app store. So basically, you get your closed betas within the organization and an open beta that's open to anyone around the world. Yeah, I think I think that's really cool because I think a lot of people probably don't know that um, this test flight thing, maybe if they, they probably know that it exists, but not 
um, how valuable of a tool it is. They're kind of just like, hey, but take their friend's phone and plug it into their uh, machine and kind of like put it onto their phone mm-hmm. and they say kind of test it. But there's actually a really cool remote way um, of distributing. And kind of when you fix, it's almost like an app store even, like when you're like fixing small little bugs and stuff like that, you can actually mm-hmm. then, um, I guess, push almost like push new new versions um, before it actually goes out to the public. So it's like they get to like update and yeah. like test the new um, versions. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned, like it's really, really cool. Um, and something I actually learned recently um, about Test Flight was that you can also like send the developer screenshots, which I thought was really cool. Um, I didn't know that you can like literally screenshot um, yeah. a page and then you can like say send to developer. Um, which, which I thought was quite cool. Um, yeah. yeah, this is the benefit of keeping it within Apple's platform. They've not only made it extremely easy for you as a developer to share your app, but it's not even easier for one of your testers to get you feedback about their experience using the app. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think even now in this, I guess this remote world that we, that we live in, um, those types of tools are really, really great because, you can't just kind of walk over to the developer like that sits like five seats away from you and say, hey, this doesn't work um, as expected or something like that. Um, you can kind of like at least send some screenshots and like um, like write on the screenshot and be like, hey, this doesn't work as, as, as expected in this specific way. Um, so yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, and then the, I think the kind of next step for um, app distribution, I would say, is more the the review um, process. So previously, um, Apple was kind of like the only platform that had this review process um, in the App Store. And some people probably hated it and some people thought it was a good thing um, to get their apps onto the App Store. Um, but maybe we can dive into kind of like um, about this re- review process, like, why do you think um, it's kind of there? Um, and well, what's, um, well, what purpose does it have um, for, I guess, for the App Store um, or it's you, the App Store's users at the end of the day? Yeah, so <laughs> this is, this is um, well, perhaps a controversial question, or I would say it was much more of a controversial question back in the day when yeah. uh, when we were battling with uh, provisioning profiles and code signing certificates because your app review process took about two weeks at the time. Yeah. Um, two weeks from submitting a bill to Apple for them to actually review it, come back to you and tell you whether it's ready for the app store. Um, well, thankfully, that's no longer the case. I actually saw a app this morning uh, on Twitter that took 13 minutes from going into app review to being ready for distribution on the app store. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so we've come, we've really come a long way, but um, the whole benefit of that app review process is, or rather I should say the goal is that everything that you find on the app store is curated. It's approved by Apple it's largely free of critical bugs. I mean, they're not in that app review phase to test your app for you, but 
they do tend to find a lot of usability issues on some devices that you might not have tested. Uh, it also keeps apps consistent, sticking with a set of guidelines called the, the human interface guidelines. Um, so I think, I think it's a huge benefit to have that app review process. And I mean, I say it's their goal to keep everything consistent and uh, curated, but uh, that goal isn't always achieved. Uh, some, uh, some lesser, some apps of lesser quality do make it through onto the app store. Uh, as I mentioned, it is a bit controversial of sorts because we have the sort of central point, central point being Apple, that uh, is basically standing there making these decisions about what gets onto the app store and not. Some people do believe it should be a bit more of a free process. I mean, largely, I'm, I'm quite happy that we have an app review process. Maybe my opinion will be changed if I'm ever burnt in the app review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what it is. I think a lot of people might have wanted to get some critical features out or whatever um, at some point um, to the users as fast as possible, and they had to wait for the, like, the two-week process. Um, I guess these yeah. days it's a lot better with Apple at taking 13 minutes Um I don't. I've I've kind of gotten the best of like one day, so like next day review, um, and and kind of ready, but never thirteen minutes, which is amazing. Um, so clearly over the last few years, Apple has been working, um, on that quite a bit, um, which is really really awesome. Oh, they have. They completely revamped their app review team. I think it was in twenty nineteen. I feel like it was in twenty nineteen. They completely revamped that team and. Uh, they they are they are constantly improving it, and I think I think the future is bright. It's already looking a lot better, and it, it continues to improve. Yeah, yeah, that's really really awesome. Um, yeah, and then I think um, kind of like just kind of going into the more nitty gritty kind of stuff. So I think we've kind of like covered uh, most of the 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 simple process of how to get your app to the specific app store. Um, from from kind of building your application to using code signing with App Store, I mean, with provisioning profiles and certificates used through Xcode, like the simple, like you mentioned, kind of like the golden way of doing it. Um, and now, but but I think what gets, um, what makes your app a little bit better or kind of makes um, the process a little bit better is trying to automate all of this. Um, and I think mm. that that automation in in this sense is quite important when you're looking at having an app um, with a really large team um, and not necessarily mm -hmm. always large. Um, you can you can kind of um, you can kind of have a small team and still have this process. Um, but just kind of like automation always helps us with not kind of having that human, um, kind of that human interaction and we can kind of make sure that everything kind of goes well without, um, um, I guess, a human kind of maybe messing it up um, or maybe kind of doing something that they shouldn't have done or whatever. Um, so, yeah, kind of just diving into um, what's available for us to be, to kind of automate um, this specific process. Um, and I know one of the biggest um, where, where it kind of all starts with the automation for, for App Store distribution, especially for iOS, is through App Store Connect APIs. Um, and I know that they've recently been like kind of revamped almost, I would say. I think last year they kind of added a, like 200 new endpoints or something like that. 
Um, I don't know if I'm getting the numbers right, but yeah, maybe we can just deep dive and, and kind of start at, at the, the App Store Connect API um, and kind of just chat a little bit around that and kind of what that kind of does for us. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the app reviews, well, the app distribution process is still a very largely manual process. And, and to your point, there's a lot that can go wrong on the way that a person can miss. And honestly, the only way to to lock this down, whether as an individual developer working on an app on yourself or as part of a larger team, is to automate away some of this process. And um, we can do this because you don't need to build your app inside Xcode. So, so after building on those foundations of understanding what is a provisioning profile, a code signing certificate, and then basically uh, understanding some of the internals of a uh, of an iOS project. The app distribution book then goes into moving out of Xcode. So once, once we're out of our IDE, we've made the first step into automating the process. As soon as you can build your app outside the IDE, you can get that build automated. Once that's automated, you can start distributing it to the App Store. So after that first step of getting outside Xcode, um, you then need to build your project from the command line. And and the iOS app distribution book talks about this whole process, about uh, getting out of Xcode, using a command line tool called Xcode Build, which actually comes with Xcode, using this command line tool to, to build your app on the command line and from there, packaging that app store with Xcode Build and pushing that up to the App Store. Uh, once you can do that from the command line, you can start talking about making automation scripts. And once you have those scripts, you can you can add on to it. You can automate the whole process and make it incredibly pain-free to do a weekly build or even a nightly build and get that distributed basically immediately to test flight. Um, so, so the App Store Connect API has been expanded a lot in, in I think, yeah, I think it was last year. Um, it's a lot more capable now. And uh, we don't touch on that directly in the book, actually. But um, largely, you're not going to be using that, or largely, I haven't needed to use the App Store Connect API directly. And I see that as a blessing. But we have this we have this amazing API there for you to automate a lot of stuff related to uh, deployment and distribution, whether that's pushing your build, which you can do via the command line with Xcode build, or actually managing everything you have on App Store Connect. So so what App Store Connect is, we actually didn't go into that. It's it's the platform on which you you distribute all of your builds. So from App Store Connect, you're going to be getting your app ready for review, giving it a name, giving it marketing data, things like that. And from App Store Connect, you'll put it onto test flight. You'll mark what features, what capabilities are in your app, things like that. And the App Store Connect API lets you use App Store Connect via uh, via basically any sort of HTTPS connection that you have. 
And um, some of the things you can do there, for example, is you can manage the bulbs you have on test flights. You can manage the bulbs you have getting ready to go to App Store. You can you can invite new users into your account. You can uh, edit who is allowed to download a test flight build. The the capabilities are endless. I think with the new changes to the API. There's almost nothing you can't do on that API that you can do in the App Store Connect website. At the end of the day, we we have this App Store Connect APIs, and like you mentioned, like metadata um, is one of the key points of this specific API. Where well, these APIs where we can actually push a lot more data. Um, we can push a lot more data from these APIs to the App Store without actually going to App Store Connect, um, well, I guess the portal itself. And I think one of the biggest um, distributing tools out there that take advantage of the App Store Connect API, especially from an iOS point of view, is Fastlane, like you mentioned. Um, and Fastlane is a really, really cool tool. Um, I've had I've had an episode on Fastlane previously, um, but Fastlane is a, is a really... Um, great tool for app distribution. Um, and maybe we can kind of also like reiterate um, on Fastlane a little bit more um, and how and how it actually does help developers um, get their apps onto the App Store in a much easier way. Yeah, so, so PJ, you actually did a podcast very early on with uh, the lead maintainer, the current lead maintainer of uh, Fastlane which is an absolutely awesome podcast. And if you haven't listened to it, stop listening to this now. Go listen to that one and then come back. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so that, that will be everything that you need to know about uh, Fastlane. But uh, I'm, I'm always excited to talk about uh, how I use Fastlane. And um, basically, your first steps into into automating your build is, is via Xcode build. That, that's sort of the fundamentals. Once you can build and distribute your app using Xcode build, that's great. But to really make it scalable and to actually unlock a lot more capabilities, you have to take a look into Fastlane. So what Fastlane does is you can think of it as a wrapper to Xcode build, which allows you to build and distribute your app, but also a wrapper for the App Store Connect API, which is largely managing your metadata. So Xcode build to build and distribute, App Store Connect API to manage everything else about your app that's available on App Store Connect. And Fastlane lets you do all of this from the command line. It's amazing. So you can you can build your app with Fastlane Gym, uh, a command called Gym in Fastlane. And uh, you can, I mean, you can even use Fastlane before you've started writing code for your app. You can use it as early on as creating a creating an app record in App Store Connect, creating a provisioning profiles, things like that. Uh, you can set the, the category that your app belongs to, again, all via the command line, even before you've started writing code. And um, that that's all, again, that's all that App Store Connect side of uh, Fastlane at work. Um, yeah, so Fastlane is amazing. And in the book, we talk about, well, first, again, going to Xcode Bold from Xcode and then really supercharging your your automation journey by getting up and running with Fastlane. 
and um, yeah. Yeah, and I think fast lanes are a really great tool. Um, also, with something that you mentioned um, previously, which is definitely CICD. Um, CICD fast lane um, is kind of like kind of like the dream. Um, where you kind of have this mm-hmm. thing where you're writing code, you're um, about to make a pull request, um, you kind of have your obviously your um, your your CI, your continuous integration. You can use Fastlane at that point, but as soon as you kind of want to release your application and let's say you make a release branch, um, and you kind of want to distribute this either to to um, to test flight or you want to actually just get it into review, um, Fastlane works really, really well with that. And I think that's also a great segue for us into how CICD is really, really important when it comes to app distribution. Because I think a lot of people might um, even still use Fastlane, um, but they might use it on their local machine still. Um, and they could distribute their application yeah. from their local machine using Fastlane, even if it's not through um, through Xcode itself. Um, so maybe we can just dive into yeah. how the CI part also, CI and CD part, um, the continuous delivery, um, with all this automation actually helps us as app developers get to a point where we kind of just writing code and we're pushing code to our repository mm-hmm. and everything else gets dealt for us. Like if we want to make, get our app to the app store, get it to test flight or whatever, we just kind of create a specific branch and everything gets done for us. Yeah. So, so that's the absolute dream. And, and that's what we're, we're trying to achieve with this book is, is getting you to that state. Because you can imagine the 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 antithesis of that, sort of the the manual release process, where you're you're ready to release. You in in Xcode, you hit product, and then you hit archive. You wait a while. You get a pop up. You select how you want to distribute your app, etc., etc., etc. You go onto App Store Connect. You sign in. You make sure you set all the correct metadata. You take a bunch of screenshots uh, in your simulator. You upload those screenshots, and I can't, I can't overemphasize, rather, I can't underemphasize how tiring this process is. Where you need, you need screenshots for a number of different devices, and that is just for one language. If you're supporting localization, if you're supporting different languages. You need those screenshots for all those devices, for all of those languages. So you're going to be doing all of that. You're going to manually upload those in App Store Connect and then prepare your app for review. Now, the alternative is with Fastlane, you would have a a workflow set up in Fastlane where you simply say, Fastlane, uh, send my app for app review. And what that would do is compile your app for you compile your app for you on your Mac. It'll uh, run tests, make sure everything's fine. It'll get the right signing certificate and provisioning profile, package your app exactly as it needs to be. Now, here's the kicker. You can even set up Fastlane to take those screenshots for you. So you can set up Fastlane to run all those different devices that you need in all of those different languages, taking all those screenshots. 
I mean, depending how many languages you're supporting, you can easily get to 100 screenshots like that. And Fastlane, again, then all uploads everything that you've just done. And it manages your app on App Store Connect appropriately, assigns those screenshots where they're supposed to be, sets the right metadata, and you're off to the races. You can submit your app for app review. I mean, once again, you can do that directly in Fastlane. You, you can even submit. You can submit your app for app review from the command line using Fastlane. Um, but to take that even further, imagine if you could take your MacBook out of the equation entirely. And that's where CI/CD, continuous integration and continuous delivery, that's where they fit. That's continuous integration in a nutshell. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's all in the name. It's about getting that code back into the main branch as easily and as quickly as possible. You finish your work, you push it off to GitHub, and automatically your tests are running and make sure everything is fine. And it lets you know that you're good to get that code into the main branch. From there, you get it in as soon as possible. And this just solves a few issues regarding knowing exactly the state of the app you're working on. Continuous integration tells you that uh, your code is running fine, and it gets it back into that main branch, which is incredibly important when you're working on a large team or any size of a team with other developers. You want to get everything back together. You want to get all the work from each developer into one branch on your Git repository, and you want to know, is it healthy? You want to know, is your code working as expected? And your continuous integration server is going to tell you when things are working as they should be on your main branch and when they're not. Because once that main branch is broken, once your app is broken, you need to know so you can fix it. And that's the benefit of continuous integration. Where continuous delivery takes things a step further is we talked about using continuous well we talked about using fastlane on the ci server to run your tests well continuous delivery would then on your main branch instead of just running your tests you'll be able to actually release or build and push your app to app store connect everything in the cloud so so you no longer have to worry about your own local setup. Maybe you just upgraded to the latest macOS version or you installed a new version of Xcode or you have some other dependency that could muck things up on your own computer. Well, it's much safer to, to look at the state of your app on GitHub or GitLab and basically say when you're ready to release it to App Store, you hit a big green button it builds in the cloud exactly as you've specified using Fastlane and using your automation scripts. And when it's done, it pushes it to App Store Connect. Easy as that. Yeah, I think I think I think that's really really cool. Um, and I think that people people will definitely start using it a lot more once they know about it and they kind of see the benefits of it. Because I think um, mm -hmm. automating the whole app distribution process is kind of key to also having um, a better kind of product out there where you know that it's also not code that just works on my machine. 
type of vibes where you kind of have it in a central place. This is your code base that everyone that everyone's kind of working on. Um, and if the app builds and the tests pass in this specific environment, we know that it's very, um, I guess, I guess more of like a universal build or an isolated build from anyone's kind of configurations of their machine or whatever. Um, so that's always really, really good. Um, but I kind of wanted to just move to, to something else that I think um, is probably something people would um, think about um, a lot, which is kind of like free apps versus um, like paid for apps. And I think even when it comes to app distribution, this is actually something that people don't realize that it's almost kind of like part of that process and you can kind of like automate the way this works also as part of your app distribution, but you kind of need to be able to configure these, um, let's say configure these builds in a certain way using um, targets um, within iOS um, and macOS and all of that, targets and schemas. Um, maybe we can kind of just like segue into customization of build configurations, how we do that and how that kind of helps us with um, with kind of like distributing different, either different versions mm -hmm. of our application, either to different targets, like it could be a different code base, like Mac OS or whatever, or yeah. it could even be um, distributing it as a free version versus a paid for version. So you have different features in it. So, so this is this is a great question because this is where things really get interesting. I mean, everything we've talked about previously is it's pretty much the way that you do things. If you want to distribute an app, you need to know about code signing and provisioning profiles and all the rest. And we know that if you want to make your life easier, automate it. But one of the things that I love about software development is things aren't always so clear cut. You need to make hard decisions. You need to make trade-offs and you need to find the best approach that works for you. And the same is very true with app development. And, you know, I, I loved going into this in the book and basically talking about these, these best practices and, and how to apply uh, all of this in the real world, you know, and you gave some great examples about uh, how can we manage the paid version versus the free version. And the example we use in the book is how can you manage the alpha version versus the beta version versus the release version? Say, I want to have the public released version of my app on my phone, but I also want to have the alpha version. But every time I try and install the alpha version, it overwrites the release version. Why is that? So there are ways to get around this, and, and there are ways using basically the components of your Xcode project to, to handle things like different platforms, meaning maybe your app is on iOS and macOS, or maybe you have uh, some changes to your app that... Uh, you use for testing, whether it's an alpha build or a beta build. Maybe you want to run your app every now and then to test a certain different language. 
and uh, some other simulated settings. And maybe you want to compare the paid and free versions. Oh, sorry, maybe you want to distribute both a paid and free version. And that's where targets and schemas come into play. Targets, schemas, build settings, and build configurations. So once you once you have an understanding of how to use the the, the trifecta of targets, schemas, and build settings. It opens up a whole new world of possibilities in terms of, say, distributing different versions of your app um, or even white labeling your app. Maybe you have the next Uber so as an, as an app idea. And now in one project, maybe you want to use the same code base to release the next Uber for dogs and the next Uber for uh, getting to sports games and the next Uber for this and that and that. And you want to do it all in the same code base. You can do this with targets. Now, if you want to do things like make changes between your alpha build and your beta build and your release build, you need to go a little bit further than targets or, or rather, I mean, this is a decision about trade-offs. Sometimes there are easier ways to do things than using targets, and that's often by modifying bolt settings. Uh, basically changing bolt settings for a particular situation and tying that situation to a schema. Okay. So maybe I want to run an alpha and a beta bolt on my device, and I want to change the name of the app in each bolt. You can, in your Xcode project, change build settings for an alpha build and a beta build by creating separate schemas and changing build settings for those schemas. And I mean, there's a whole world of possibilities of things you can change once you understand that interplay between build settings, schemas, targets. And to make it even easier, you can plop those build settings into configuration files as well, just to... Uh, to really have fun with how much easier you can make your life when you understand how uh, the internals of an Xcode project really work. Yeah, I think I think that's really cool because I think with especially when it comes to um, the build settings and stuff like that with build phases where you can kind of customize your build phase and have some automation scripts and stuff even running. Um, to do specific things at specific times while your application is actually building. Um, that, I think, is also really, really powerful um, and kind of like is one of those things that can help you um, when creating different versions of your application. You mentioned like whitelisting um, your application. Um, white, white labeling, I apologize. White labeling um, your, um, your application. That, that kind of like also helps with those type of things if you want to um, run different um, scripts for, for let's say, different versions of the specific application. Um, so that's really, really cool. And I think even with targets, um, you with, with kind of like with SwiftUI, just kind of like speaking even around SwiftUI, like um, you kind of having this whole approach of kind of having cross-platform um, apps um, as Apple would say, which they're kind of meaning um, Mac OS, um, Apple Watch, Apple TV, 
um, and iOS, like actually sharing a code base and even kind of like sharing UI almost to a point um, where yeah. like you, you have, you have like probably going to have a few kind of like configurations or targets and stuff like that. Um, and you're obviously also going to be distributing these two different um, technically like, um, like kind of like almost like app stores, because remember we have the Mac OS app store and we have the iOS app store. Um, and then I'm guessing TVOS has its own, has its own place uh, where you get apps for that. So, um, yeah, so I just think that, um, yeah, we're with, with all of this automation and app distribution, like getting it right, um, from the beginning and having all of these things kind of automated, and doing it correctly can also help you expand your your application to other, um, let's say, Apple platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's from my side. I think that we've kind of covered quite a bit of stuff this evening. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything else you feel um, is quite important to to this topic that we should kind of share with our viewers out there. Just um, just a bit about that part about um, how it does largely come down to basically figuring out what those best practices are and finding finding a workflow that works for you. App Store distribution doesn't have to be a pain. There's a lot you can do to to make your workflow a lot easier and to design something that suits your needs. The trick is just knowing what is on offer and how to make uh, Xcode and how to make Xcode and App Store Connect work for you, not against you. Remember, these are your tools. They're supposed to be helping you, not holding you back. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think I think that's actually a great um, a great way to kind of end this because I think people have probably ended up like fighting with these tools and stuff like that. But I mean, these tools are there to kind of help you get your app out there and have users have have the app in users' hands and actually get um, them to to play with your app and. Um, give great reviews at the end of the day and you want to make this as seamless as possible, especially if you need to fix something, it shouldn't be a pain. Um, and these tools obviously allow you to do all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but yeah, um, thanks so much, Keegan, for joining us today. Um, I think this has been really, really insightful. Um, and I think... There's a lot to learn for our listeners out there. Um, where can people find you on like social media if they wanted to find you, like say on Twitter um, or anywhere else on the internet, I, I would say. Um, yeah. Oh, well, I think, I think like a lot of people have been sort of locked in my own zone when it comes to the pandemic that we are all experiencing together. I haven't been too active on the interwebs, but uh, I'm always on Twitter. I may not post a lot, but I always am keeping an eye out, trying to post more. I'm on Twitter under, what's my name? PJ, what's my name? 
Uh, uh, I'm on Twitter under at Rush Keegan, which is just my name backwards. So at Rush Keegan. And um, got a website at uh, thecodeitself.com. The and I'm posting quite regularly on uh, Ray Wenderlich, uh blog there quite often. And yeah, um, I enjoy it. And I'm always happy to talk about any questions anyone has or any discussions anyone wants to start. If I can help anyone with anything and learn something along the way, I'm there. Awesome, man. Yes, thank you so much for for joining us today. Um, I definitely will put your your details down in the show notes. Um, so if anybody wants to kind of like tweet at you or just kind of discuss something either on Twitter or even just check out your blogs that you've written. Um, I've read some of them. They're really, really great. Um, so yeah, I think, Thank you. yeah. So thanks so much for joining us and yeah, we'll, we'll, um, hopefully we'll be back soon, um, for another podcast with Keegan. Thanks, man. Looking forward to it. Thank you, PJ. You've been an awesome host. Cool. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on Talking with Apple's podcast. Cheers.